get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon and be part of community-powered radio. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2021. To donate, call 03-9419-8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon, community-powered radio. You're listening to Earth Matters, produced and broadcast at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri and Bunurong Country. Welcome to Earth Matters. It's Radiothon today. Welcome to our cyber studio today. We've got Nikki, Megan and me back. And we're going to be making you empty your pockets into our money bank because it's radiothon and write this number down because you will be inspired to donate i really pray you will and so here's the number 0394198377 that's 0394198377 ring in and donate to earth matters or you can go to 3cr.org.au forward slash earth matters click into the latest podcast there and you'll see somewhere where you can donate great thanks back what a fabulous introduction that was to the show today the only time of the year that we get to do a live show at 3cr and have us all on air together which is why i love radiothon so much and so of course i'm nikki and we're also in the studio today with megan how are you going, Megan? I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm good. I'm excited to yeah be doing my first Radiothon show. And I just want to thank Earth Matters and 3CR for, you know, I have learned so much and I look forward to being able to share the platform that the Earth Matters team has built over the years with the community and so that voices of the community about social and environmental justice can continue to be heard for decades to come. And also how we've managed to keep doing what we do despite COVID as well, you know what I mean? Like how we awesome have. we have. We have, and we've actually done a better job than a lot of the mainstream media. I feel like we've thrived despite everything. Yeah. And Megan, obviously you've been out on the road a lot too. Well, I was really lucky because I left Victoria in that brief moment when everything seemed to be okay last May or May in 2020 and I've really just never gone back <laughs> and I, I live out here now which is cool you know like I came out um, to the Darling River to the Barker because that's a place that's really special to me and you know at that time last year I was desperate to come out and see the first flows coming down what had been a dry river for far too long for many years and unfortunate the unfortunate series of events in Melbourne meant that I actually found myself living out here now so it's been it's been a really amazing experience. What's really great about you being there Megan now is that you're continuing this long story of the rivers there which we had been following and now you're right on the ground we have water in those rivers now but what's going to happen in the future we, we still have to resolve all that Earth Matters yeah. has a very long-term perspective on some of these issues. Sometimes it feels like we're banging our heads against a, a wall on these issues, but things are really moving at the moment. And this show, it is at the cutting edge. 
When you listen to other shows, really Earth Matters has it all over them, in touch with the grassroots activists and the issues that are really moving at the moment and that are driven by grassroots movements. You can see it in the politics around forests, water and climate, of course. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And how long you've been doing it for a while now, Beck, too, haven't you? How many years? I've clocked up three years. Yeah. Hard yakker on the front lines of the actions recording people's voices. And I'm, but I'm so happy to put those voices out there to give people a voice, the people who are really uh, holding the banners and, and making tea for the protesters and doing all of the millions of tasks that takes up building a grassroots people's movement and which Earth Matters does report on. I know, right? It's just amazing. And so, and Megan, of course, you you just joined, you also joined last year, sort of just before you went on the road, I think you sort of did your... Yeah. So I made my first, I made my first couple of shows in lockdown last year. And then from then on, like, I, I actually kind of just made a series on rivers. Like, I feel it's such a privilege position to be in you know like I feel so fortunate to be able to talk to the people that I talk to like I've got some clips there from um, Dr Anne Polina up in the Fitzroy at the Matawara River um, in the Fitzroy of Nikimbali and um, you know I've spoken to traditional owners who you know have such an important voice on everything to do with the environment but especially in water and like I just feel so lucky to be able to have those conversations. Dr. Anne Polina, she's such a powerful woman with such important things to say about one of the last wild rivers on the planet. And it just spoke really deeply to me. So that's why I picked this one minute. But, you know, her whole segment is worth listening to on repeat. <laughs> really. mm. um, yeah, so take a listen. We see water as a living system with a spirit and we engage with it. We see it as a sacred ancestral being as opposed to people who may want to develop it as a water resource. So what we're talking about is a clash of values and ethics in regards to somebody seeing water as a resource that they can profit from as opposed to Aboriginal people who see water as being the lifeblood of our nations and that all of us are connected by rainbow serpents to living water systems across the nation. So we have a different relationship with water. At this point in time, I am really still quite um, not sure that people really understand the Fitzroy River system in regards to how much water we actually have in the bucket before we start dividing it up and using it as a commodity that we can trade and sell. Dr. Anne Polina, who is, or at least when I interviewed her was, I think she still is, the chair of the Matawara Fitzroy River Council. And the other the other soundbite I have is from Ray Woods, who is a Wiradjuri man based out, um, he lives in Hay, um, and he does... Um, a lot of work taking young people out on country and teaching people, um, you know, about cultural significance of certain sites. Yinjimata is a holistic way of living for Wiradjuri people. And in that way of living, it was given to us basically in the old days, it was given to us by our mothers and, and grandmothers and that around the camp. Yinjimata is... Uh, is respect, courtesy, 
honour and one of the main ones is to go slow. Now, my old people taught me about going slow, which was uh, something that, you know, you take things in before you act on them. You know, everything in our country has is there for a reason. We've got to live in, in harmony with that. And that's how our old people always have been, you know, that everything has its place. And if we start taking something out of that, out of that ecosystem, then it can have a great uh, impact on the whole country. If we we take one little animal out or one little thing out, that everything's there for a reason. All these things are to live in harmony and, and have a purpose and have their own purpose. You're listening to Earth Matters on 3CR Radio with Beck Horridge, Megan Williams and myself, Nikki Stott, and it's Radiothon time. So don't forget, if you're listening right now, give us a call and donate whatever you can on 039419-8377. That's 039419-8377. Or you can go to our webpage at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters and click on our latest podcast there to find the link to our online crowd funder. Now, one of the things that I love about Radiothon is that it's a time for Earth Matters when we get to really reflect on our connection to the countless grassroots activist communities and collectives that we're in solidarity with. And one that we all know and love is Goonga Environment Centre otherwise known as Gecko. And this week, I got a chance to catch up with Chris Syringa from Gecko for the latest update and all the Gecko news. So it's been an eventful first half of the year for Gecko. When you and I last spoke in February, you're in the midst of a direct action campaign with the local community out at Camp Erinundra Blockade. And now just last month, you had a big victory out there with an injunction against uh, logging in one of the coops there. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So after a, almost four months of, um, of direct action campaign out there, Save Erinundra campaign, which stalled logging in two areas of forest, uh, which now have been taken off the schedule, logging had just started in another area just around the corner from where the protest started back in January. And there had been private security station there pretty much 24-7 for about a month to stop people from taking action. And then, yeah, about a week into logging started then, um, Environment East Gippsland secured an injunction to stop the logging there. And then it went to court like an initial hearing where the judge said there's a case here and Vic Forest committed to not logging that area until next year. And so all the machines left, which is very exciting. And you know what, I just want to take this moment to just congratulate everyone who is involved in that ongoing blockade and all of the other work that goes around those kind of fights that, you know, you don't always necessarily see and all the people that are involved, which is always so many people. Well done. It's so great when we can have a victory with environmental protection. So It's pretty exciting. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah, and it's nice for us to be able to sit back and take a moment at least to enjoy the victory and uh, to take strength from it as we keep fighting. And speaking of keeping fighting, so that injunction's till next year for now. So what areas does it apply to exactly and what areas are still out there that are still we still need to be thinking about trying to protect? So it only applies to just the one area 
it's really just a small handful of coops that we concentrated on there and Erinundra. There's more than 100 coops scheduled across East Gippsland in like really, really critical refuges for wildlife and following the bushfires as well. I mean, right now the government is logging forests in the Swiss Creek area near Mount Delusion, really beautiful mature forests where lots and lots of threatened species are found and certainly we're keeping an eye on the ground and are going to make sure that there's a lot of other areas that are still scheduled and we want to campaign for their permanent protection as well. And so when those campaigns are coming up, do you think there'll be maybe the possibility of more direct action stuff? I guess uh, winter and um, kind of early spring, it's a difficult time to be in the forest. We were planning on having a citizen science camp, but unfortunately had to had to postpone. But we're still going to be doing a lot of that on the ground monitoring stuff and kind of building up to more on the ground citizen science, direct action kind of work through spring and summer. So, yes, definitely stay tuned. Oh, that's great. I was going to actually ask you about the citizen science. So that's good to yes. know that that's still coming up. One other thing, since it's Radiothon at 3CR, something that we don't often talk about in detail when we chat with you on Earth Matters is what Gecko actually is because we always assume that our listeners, which they do for the most part, know what Gecko is. But I thought it might be nice to just spend a moment reflecting with you on who is the community that's around Gecko. So Gecko is a collective that's based in East Gippsland, but there's obviously supporters further afield. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the collective is kind of made up of long-time East Gippsland residents and also um, people who have been campaigning for East Gippsland's protection of East Gippsland for us for a long time. We're a grassroots organisation and, you know, we don't receive any government funding. We're, you know, non-hierarchical and we're really into that on-the-ground grassroots organising style. And I think it's something that makes us really special. And, I mean, we have ties with a lot of really fantastic community groups and and people working on the ground and 3CR included. I mean, every time that something's been happening at Camp Arundra, like we've had the opportunity to be on 3CR and, I mean, you guys were interviewing Isaac as he was being arrested, which was pretty incredible, like, for working with grassroots community groups and kind of really getting the word out there about what's going on it's so important and all the work that we put in, it's all amplified by working together and using these grassroots kind of style announcements and organising. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really, really cool. Absolutely. And I'll just say in case people listen to this and they're not sure who is that was that you're talking about when earlier one of the blockaders at Camp Erinunda who was up in a tree set for a week or two. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, nearly two weeks. And, you know, preventing logging in that coop. And then um, yeah. just as they were about to get arrested, Juliet Fox was interviewing Isaac. And it's actually interesting that we're talking about Juliet Fox because Juliet Fox is a longtime 3CR person who actually started Earth Matters back in 96. And yeah. I believe Gecko started in 93. And yeah. I was speaking to Juliet the other day and I said, so I guess when you started doing Earth Matters, there would have been interviews going on with Gecko and people would have been going out to Goonga and, and been involved with stuff that was going on with some of the more old-timey people out there back in the day. And Juliet's yeah. like, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, they've always kind of had that relationship with Gecko, which is really nice to think about. That's like 25 years now. 
And um, it is nice to take a moment to reflect on that relationship. And I hope that we'll have many more chats in the future. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Keep the legacy going. (laughs) Yeah, and this uh, fight. It would be nice to think that maybe our fighting days, we could see the light at the end of the tunnel. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we'll just keep fighting until we don't have to anymore. And then we can just, like ring you up and just say how's it going out at Gugra and you'll be like oh it's really lovely this it's really peaceful (laughs) forest is thriving the greater gliders are flying around (laughs) this that's what we're here for all right thanks so much for catching up Chris thank you thank you um, so much for having me if any stuff comes up give us a yell or we'll give you a yell and um let us that know how great. we can help out in any way. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I think, yeah, we're going to really try and focus on some capacity building and um, community engagement events and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, that'd be really awesome to be able to tee up with you guys to just keep coming on and keep chatting about stuff that's happening. It's really Absolutely. Cool. Actually, yeah, it's really good to be able to get those messages out and bring people in. All right. Well, lovely to talk to you. You take care. Thank you. Thanks so much, Nikki. No you worries. Too. See you later. And so that was Chris Sharinga from Goonga Environment Centre. And you can support Gecko at gecko.org.au. Contact them at saveerinundra at gmail.com or direct message on their social media. I also want to give a shout out to everyone that's donated to Earth Matters Radiothon so far. We're getting close to our target, but we're not quite there yet. So we need you to call up the station on 039419 to get to our $2,000 target. You know, we can do it with your help. And, of course, COVID, you know, has been really hard year for 3CR, but 3CR has really pulled itself together and a lot of programmers have been working from home but also not really allowed to leave home. So we've sort of been living in this really sort of virtual world where kind of always in your own house you know for a long time we couldn't even really go five kilometers from our house so for me to know that you and Beck were both out there sort of still in a relatively normal world managing to stay on top of uh you know to to be literally there at the front line was was just a really big comfort to Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. while we're sort of down here in Melbourne (laughs) yeah mind you I, I think that the digital divide has really um, it's the claws of the digital divide had emerged during COVID because some people just do not have access to good quality sound phone or laptop to do interviews with. Plus, people aren't travelling. Um, I won't say anything about the roads crawling with cops. But, um, <laughs> no, I say it. Uh, bag, well, it bag it's the very intimidating every time. <laughs> even it, But Earth Matters has covered stories that have been submerged by the cloak of COVID as our dear friend Titian named it the cloak of COVID that's all you hear about on the news and sure we need to be educated about COVID but there's a lot of other things going on as we know luckily our movement I'll say it's our movement that's how Earth Matters is different I'm an embedded activist I am an activist not just a journalist Mm, absolutely and I think that's a really good point that you make that uh under the cloak of COVID, as Tisha Nahern, Earth Matters producer who sadly had to leave us, did point out there's been a lot of stuff, not just here, but all over the world. Neoliberal governments have upped the ante with all of their extractive industries while we've all been stuck at home. And I think we're still going to only just begin to comprehend the 
long-term impacts that COVID has had on our ability to protest and resist uh, big business and uh, these neoliberal government agendas, unfortunately. Now, let's hope it's offset by more people getting skilled, skilled up with their cyber communications and long-distance communications. Mm. Yeah, and I, this is where I have to just quickly say that I've been in awe of not just us at Earth Matters but the whole of 3CR in the last year, you know, and obviously some people, as you say, Beck, don't have computers or don't have internet and 3CR has been fantastic by working out a way that they can allow those people to still be keep coming into the actual station and still be COVID safe. And then for everyone else, just running so many training and Skillshare sessions and just getting everyone as skilled up as possible to be able to produce good as possible audio as we can. And of course, we're doing our radiothon this show. This is like, I've been at 3CR for 11 years now. I've never had to do a radiothon show at home, but that's what we have to do at the moment. So I think just well done to 3CR generally for just rising to the occasion over the last year and just thriving more than ever, even with so much hardship going on. Mm, Absolutely. And it's, it's been an opportunity as well for learning, like you say, like, like, I mean, I'm lucky to be out here. Like I live out in Broken Hill now and I was living out um, on a station near Menindee last year. But truth be told, a lot of my interviews were done online because I'm in such a remote location, you know, like I'm, I'm really fortunate to be able to do face-to-face interviews with people who are out here. But yeah, a lot of my shows had remotely recorded guests because just of such a remote location that I'm living in. But still like fantastic that you can be so remote and then still doing essentially what I would call movement building with us as media activists in that movement, as Beck said, embedded in the movement and not just doing media, you know, we do all the other stuff that we do, but I like to make shows that are um, information toolkits for a particular part of our movement. You know, it's the the grannies that will have the, the um, what is it, the knitting nannies against coal, gas and greed. <laughs> um, to make a show that includes them, something that they're involved with, with all the information that anybody might need who feels that that's a thing for them. I think you do a really good job of doing that too, Beck. And, of course, earlier this year you were able to get up to Camp Oni, another Forest Blockade up uh, near Newcastle, near yes. Lake Macquarie, is it? Um, it's inland from Gosford. It's up mm. around Wiseman's Ferry. And get out there, get into the forest. If anybody, even just to the Dandenongs or as far as you can go, take a gulp of forest air. It was so refreshing for me to do that up at the, the base camp for the Olney Forest Blockade. And there's a blockade at Arimba now too. It's a rich country. It's the situation where the... Timber supplies are running low after the fire, so they're going into some areas that are known well because they're close to the state forest campgrounds. They're loved by people, beautiful places, biodiverse, and absolutely should not be logged. Anyway, the crews are in there trying to stop it and have stopped it for the moment. Yeah, well, man. The thing I like about making radio shows is the sounds, the beautiful sounds that I hear on the sidelines keeping my ears open. And the lyrebirds there was one sound that I heard. But there's another sound that I want to talk about that I've been hearing for the first time in the last few years, and that is the sound of thousands of kids chanting things like, we are not drowning. We are not drowning. We are not drowning. They shout at their rallies. And representing the youth for me has been 
it's just so massively rewarding and something that I'm really looking forward to keeping on doing. Yeah, I've been quite inspired by the uh, Schools for Climate Change movement and the kids generally um, getting out there, yeah. taking on the intergenerational fight that's been going on for yeah. ever. Yeah, just I feel so, you know, I feel I am so honoured to to be able to present some of these people, the climate, Pacific climate warriors, some of the Gomoroy elders, uh, Kevin Buzzacott, Uncle Albert Hartnett, who's now um, taking a stand at the Aboriginal Tent Embassy in Canberra. He's been camping there. To be able to present these amazing leaders who are turning this world around to a better future is something that I'm so proud to do. And actually, I think that's a really good segue back to a grab of audio that we've got to play from a show that you did with Uncle Kevin Buzzacott and Polly Cutmore at the embassy. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that before we play it? Oh, well, that was a classic, just to show of uh, really one of the advantages of the Aboriginal tent embassy is that there are people there you can go down and they just came down because... Morrison had announced a big pot of money for gas and Polly Cutmore um, turned around from a visit to her kids and went straight up to the embassy to mount a protest and that's where I found her. Um, Uncle Kevin Buzzacott was kind of stranded there at the time um, wanting to get back to South Australia but he interviewed me anyway. I was lucky to catch him. So let's have a listen to them. We want to take back what's ours, our government ship. We want to govern the country because these fellas up here can't look after us. They can't even look after their own people. They've got to stop killing us, pressuring us, and also destroying the whole country. Kevin Buzzacott, veteran campaigner against uranium. Kevin will be on later in the show. The sea ground, this is all our people. The ground that they're sitting in, you know, This is made up of thousands and thousands of years of my people living in this country and dying in this country. This country is my people, you know. This is all our ancestors here, the trees, everything. It's made up of our us. Polly Cutmore, Gamilaroi elder from Moree, talking about her people's relationship with country. Yeah, and all the more reason to help keep us on the air which you can donate and make a pledge to Earth Matters uh, in 3CR's Radiothon. Um, And every donation, of course, if you make a pledge, helps us stay on the air. And so if people want to donate right now, they're listening right now and they want to donate, they can call the station on 039-419-8377. Or we do have an online crowdfunder, CrowdRaiser, I think it's called, the easiest way to find it is to just go to the Earth Matters page, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters, and click on the most recent podcast episodes and there'll be a link on those podcast pages to the online fundraiser for Earth Matters for Radiothon. Yeah, there are two ways to make money. You can get lots of people to give a little bit of money. So if you're one of lots of people who has a little bit of money, we could have a little. Or you can get a few people to give lots of money each. So if you're one of a few people who have lots of money, you could give a little bit more, please. Oh, And I did just want to say for all the people that are listening right now who have already donated, thank you so much. We love you. You're the best. We could not do this without you. 
thank you very much for every, every, every bit of love and money that you've sent in to keep us going and keep us on air. So if you're inspired by our Radiothon show today, you can call the station on 03 9419-8377 to make a pledge to support Earth Matters. You can also do it online at 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters. If you click on any of our recent podcasts, you can find the link to our crowdfunder online. And remember that all pledges to Earth Matters, for every pledge to Earth Matters, a baby dolphin is born. Hi, you're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network, produced at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri Country, and I'm Nikki Stott. This week on Earth Matters, we've got a bit of a treat for all you agroecology buffs out there. It's a webinar about the La Via Campesina movement, and it's from the Oxford Real Farming Conference in January this year featuring Paul Nicholson from La Via Campesina, who's one of the founders, talking about the history of that movement, and also Nuri Martinez from the National Peasants Union, Fenesagro, talking about where La Via Campesina is at now. La Via Campesina is an international coordination of peasant organisations and unions. It is made up of 181 organisations representing 200 million peasants, in 81 different countries and campaigns for the rights of peasants and small farmers globally. It was the group that coined the term food sovereignty, which refers to the right of food producers and consumers to control and own the means of producing, distributing, exchanging, culturally appropriate and locally produced food. In this session, we'll talk about the history of the organisation and what its current priorities are today. Just to introduce myself, my name is Catherine McAndrew. I work for the Land Workers Alliance in the UK. I'll just introduce our fantastic selections of speakers, Paul Nicholson. Uh, Paul started off as a farm worker in West Scotland and in the Basque country as a dairy farmer. He was a very active board member of EHNE Bizkaya, a small farmers organisation in the Basque country and was one of the key visionaries who pushed towards the creation of La Via Campesina in 1993. Paul was then the first general coordinator of LVC and played key roles in the formulation of the concept of food sovereignty and in the uh, first Nieleni Forum in Mali in 2007. We are also joined by Nuri Martinez. Nuri is a campesina from Colombia and president of the National Peasants Union Fensuagro, one of the largest, oldest, and most important peasant organizations in Colombia. She is a delegate for Latin America on La Via Campesina's International Coordinating Committee and plays a key role in the organization's political strategy in the region. The situation for peasant leaders and social activists in Colombia is extremely difficult, 
with right-wing paramilitaries aligned to large landowning interests, assassinating those who stand up for the rights of workers and peasants. Just this week, we had received sad news that Nuri's nephew had been killed by paramilitaries, and Nuri herself has received threats from these groups. We'll cover the situation in Colombia and what we can do to support peasant activists there in this session. Paul, uh, I was wondering whether you could uh, start off by talking about the context in which La Via Campesina was formed. From the 70s and 80s onwards, neoliberal and intensive agricultural policies began to be implemented globally. What impact was this having on peasants and what were their responses at this time? In the 80s and 90s, they were implementing the policies, the structural adjustment policies, the policies of intensive agriculture were being imposed the world over, um, generating an enormous crisis in the family culture. There was problems of uh, hunger in the world. This uh, coincided with the lowering of prices and there was no organization at the time, no peasant organization that supported the voice of the peasants. There was no organized movement that spoke on behalf of peasants. In Britain, we had the National Farmers Union, we had COPA in Europe and in the world FIPA. Most peasants did not have a voice. We could not represent the situation of peasants. After many conversations between different peasants in the world, we, we realized that this was not a crisis between the agriculture of a country against the agriculture of another country. We had common problems, all these considerations of um, persons from Asia, Africa, America, and Europe. This produced the idea of creating an assembly, a conference where around 70 people from different organizations participated with the idea of building a movement that represented the peasants' voice in order to become protagonists of our lives and being able to promote our ideas. We decided to create our voice. We considered we were a movement, not a vertical traditional organization. We came from some social and union experiences that we were very critical about. We were quite critical with this traditional confederation, which was male chauvinistic uh, and vertical, and we wanted an horizontal organization where decisions are taken from the basis, from the grassroots. We wanted to be a political instrument we took political decisions and we participated in the political debate as a peasant's organization. Another very important axis for us was the idea of solidarity. We are peasants. Solidarity between organizations, between peasants' organizations is really important and solidarity between peasants, both men and women. And we also built the idea that Globalizing the struggle is globalizing hope. 
we wanted to generate hope between the peasants, an organization that can fight for our rights, for, that can raise awareness, class awareness. We did all this intuitively. We created this new movement. We had nothing, no benchmarks, no historical benchmarks. We created this little by little, basing our work on the experience of national and local organizations. It was a bottom-up movement. There was no capacity of voting. We always worked with a consensus. We reached agreements. We did not vote. If you vote, some lose, some win. If you look for consensus, you have a common voice. And this way, we extended our capacities. Another important axis from the beginning was the role of women. Today, Via Campesina is completely paritary in all the responsibilities. Our coordinator, our general coordinator, is Elizabeth Mothel from Zimbabwe. Before each assembly, women have their own where they can develop their strategies. Young people also have their own assembly before the general assembly that takes place every four years. And we also have the regional assemblies and the national assemblies. So it is a bottom-up movement which always keeps the parity. Which are the axes that motivated us? First of all, peasant unity, the struggle against trade agreements, against World Trade Organization, also the struggle for land tenure, for seeds, all the struggle against transgenics, and the great political leap that this process facilitated was moving from concept of uh, food security to the concept of food sovereignty. Security understood as the access to food and food sovereignty is the right of peoples to direct the food policies based upon the needs of the peoples. These are the main axes of our movement. In the early 2000s, this was a time when anti-globalization and alter-globalization movements were becoming more influential and taking international action against uh, poverty, privatization, war. What role did La Via Campesina play in this period in terms of things like the Nayeli Forum and solidarity missions and that kind of thing? Um, <clears throat> a finales de los años At the end of the 90s, all the conferences of the WTO were taking place and in these conferences, Via Campesina was present in the struggles, in the demonstrations, in the streets. There was a very important alliance strategy. Until then, this type of partnerships strategies were not very strong, were not consolidated, but in the anti-globalization struggle, there were very strong alliances 
there were very strong movements and actions that took place and Via Campesina as an organized movement of the civil peasant society with a message against liberal policies. Via Campesina facilitated many partnerships, many actions, broad actions were developed. There were big campaigns against transgenics that had a great impact. And then there were the social fora where there were massive meetings of activists, not only related to food, but related to all the impacts, all the different impacts of the neoliberal policies. Another world is possible was the, the motto and Via Campesina introduced the debate on food sovereignty as the right of peoples the right to develop the policies that were needed for food sovereignty. And that was a very, very important leap. Those was, that was a time when the campaigns of international solidarity had great strength, great impact. Vieca Vecina participated in delegations that went to Palestine, to Brazil, Remember the 17th of April of 1997 in Brazil, 17 of our colleagues were murdered. After that, we went there and from then on, we've been in Colombia, in Palestine, in Zimbabwe, South Africa, Honduras, in the places where we were most needed. We sent delegations of delegates from the Via Campesina to be witnesses and to report this and to let this be known. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Peasants and small farmers are facing new global challenges. What are La Via Campesina's main campaigning priorities at the moment in the current period? No, thank you very much, Catherine. I'd like to begin by saying that the pandemic and the crisis that we're seeing now in this moment across the world reaffirms the the main principles that La Via Campesina had from its beginnings, as Paul mentioned, and it has placed La Via Campesina in the centre of the debate. We've seen this food crisis then, and now the pandemic is also bringing us a health crisis, an economic crisis, going along a path which isn't feasible. So we're following the same struggles that we had 25 years ago. In La Via Campesina, we're facing challenges at the moment. It's a very difficult time right now because we are a movement that is facing this debate. It's a movement which is perhaps across all continents facing this challenge. And now in the pandemic, we're also being challenged to work in a different way and to strengthen other spaces. 
where we're not used to working in, for example, we're not always used to working with technology in certain ways. And we believe that the mobilization as something which is a priority at this time isn't and we're not just talking about the days of struggle that, that the Via Campesina has been maintaining over many, many years, but we're also talking about what COVID is making us face on a global level too. For example, at the moment, perhaps we want to see there, there is more of across these different summits that want to capture more of the food market. And we believe that we have to see this being done in a different way. We can't have a parallel um, summit ourselves because we can't meet right now, but we do have to find a way to making these other kinds of mobilization more visible. And this also has to do with the free trade agreements, which are so damaging above all for the production of food and everything that has is related to the rights of peasant farmers. And we believe that once the declaration of peasant rights has been, now that it's been approved, we also need to continue to strengthen this debate in the organizations, in the regions, and create material that will enable us to understand what this is all about. Because in the end, with all of the struggles that we've gone through and this fight over the last 17 years, it's all gathered together in that letter that declaration, the proposals that La Via Campesina made. And that's why we think it's so important to have that as a tool for struggle and to promote the application of each of the different countries in that struggle. Similarly, we also have to try to fight against the criminalization. We have to fight against these uh, struggles for our own land. And we're seeing these problems increase, not just in Latin America, not just in Colombia, but in other countries as well. And one of the ways out of this model is precisely to capture the, uh, to grab the land, to uh, grab the nature. And what this also means is uh, land grabbing of land that belongs to peasants. This happens in Colombia. And after uh, a struggle and working with the the politicians, uh, a peace agreement was signed. But until now, there hasn't been a, a real political commitment by the government to really implement that agreement. And so we're seeing criminalization still occurring. Unfortunately, Fensuagro has been one of the organizations that has been one of the most victimized in terms of many members being murdered, people having to move to other departments, and also other organizations of La Via Campesina, different social leaders and people defending human rights are also being targeted. La Via Campesina is committed to the implementation of the agreements, and it also has an international mission here where those responsible for the coordination and those who support La Via Campesina gather here and they're assisted by La Via Campesina in Europe because the European Union is one of the organizations that gives most support for the peace agreement. And we believe that La Via Campesina offers a lot of support. In my case, I've been threatened, my family has been threatened, and the international pressure that we've seen from the embassies is what has really brought results. 
And this is something we have to take into account. We have to look over this and really check over this because when a, a brother of one of my colleagues in the Federation was murdered, this is something that keeps on happening. And so it, in Paraguay, in Honduras, in Chile, and, and Brazil, and in India as well, it's happening too. And right now we're offering solidarity with our colleagues in these countries. Another challenge that we've been facing and that we've been putting down as a, as a priority is training, political training, ideological training, and technical training. We have agroecology training schools in different countries, in different regions, and these are internationalist because we also believe that if we're against the agribusiness model, we have to propose an alternative model. So we propose agroecology as a model for production to obtain healthy food and to also help Mother Earth. And so that's why we want to train people young people who want to stay, remain working on the land, remain in the rural areas and offer this alternative to moving to the city, for example. So we want to really strengthen everything that is related to the, to women, to coordinating women, promote peasant feminism and popular feminism. We want to work with young people as well and bringing young people together. We also believe this is extremely important in this phase. And when I said that we are facing a challenge in terms of communication, we also have to say that this is a very important element for La Via Campesina. We have to seek alternative ways of communicating. We shouldn't be afraid of technology. We have to find mechanisms, our own mechanisms within La Via Campesina for working with technology. And this is a, a fairly huge challenge that we're facing. Similarly, we also believe that we have to strengthen La Via Campesina internally it's functioning in the countries, the coordination offices at country level and the different organization at regional level of La Via Campesina. We have to make our schools virtual. They have to be available online because at the moment we're already seeing, well, this year we'll have a school. Last year we had training days and we said we would offer different schools to increase regional training. And within the collectives, we've also been gathering together different topics. We've also been talking about the operation of the ICC, the International Coordinating Committee of La Via Campesina. We've been organized in groups, but by the end of the year, we decided to meet together as the ICC. And we've seen that we can't really sit still. We're in a moment now where we have to look after ourselves. COVID is real, it exists. The model is too fragile and what this has led to is a, a huge number of deaths and we don't want this to become a business. We have to keep producing food because that is our social work, it's our social job and at the moment the production of food is a priority, is extremely important and we have to keep fighting for access to land, for a comprehensive integral agricultural reform, agrarian reform. And we also have to work on solidarity. We really have to strengthen our international solidarity because we've said that we have to go beyond the notices that we've and communication that we've been sending. How can we inspire ourselves to do things differently that can go across borders? Thank you very much for the very in-depth roundup of uh, La Via Campesina's current priorities.
I was wondering whether you could talk a bit about the situation for peasants in Colombia and what activists and supporters of La Via Campesina in the rest of the world can do to support you. One of the things that has helped a lot in Colombia is the international support. In some way, the Colombian governments depend a lot on international cooperation. So the opinion of the international community is also important for the government here and all of the stakeholders here in Colombia. Unfortunately, after the agreement was signed, new armed stakeholders appeared in the territories and we knew that the guerrilla guerrilla fighters were there, the paramilitaries were there. And now we have many armed groups, many, many groups. They go under any name when it comes to threatening us and others. For us, they are paramilitaries. They might have different names, but they are essentially paramilitaries. And also, there are those who were not in agreement with the peace agreement. So we have different groups here, and it's in the land where everything happens. With the free trade agreement in Colombia, it didn't affect us as much as it did in other countries because the guerrilla fighters were there, they were in the rural areas, and the free trade agreement was to take the natural resources, the goods from nature, the wealth of the country, to bring food and processed items based on the raw materials taken from there. That is the kind of general negotiation. But the peasant community and the transnational companies and corporations are now on the lands. And what the paramilitaries do now is defend that land for those corporations. And that's why it's so difficult and complex. So we believe that in Europe, where you have the European Commission, where you have the Foods and Agriculture Organization, this is where most support needs to be given because the government has one discourse for the international public and it has another discourse for the Colombian public and it has no interest in the implementation of a comprehensive agrarian reform. They don't respond to any of the murders that have been committed. We've seen massacres being occurred where they kill more than one or two people. They kill more than three or five people. For example, in the case of Fensuagro, in one town, they were going to murder a whole family. But my colleague was able to get out with her youngest child and they murdered her husband and her other child. And during the lockdown, being in our own homes has actually helped to allow the hitmen to reach the homes and reach the people more easily. So we really need to raise awareness internationally of what is actually happening in Colombia. And in terms of, we also have to control the resources that they are delivering. What is happening with the resources that are being given to Colombia for the peace agreement, for building peace here?
You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. And today on the show, we heard from La Via Campesina founder, Paul Nicholson. You can find them at viacampesina.org and Yuri Martinez from the National Peasants Union, Fenisagro. And you can find out more about the National Peasants Union also on the viacampesina.org website. And today's webinar recording about the La Via Campesina movement is from the Oxford Real Farming Conference that was on in January this year. And they can be found at orfc.org.uk. There's a bunch of other great webinars from the conference that you can check out. And you can also find today's podcasts and links at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. And if you're already listening via a podcasting service, we'd love you to subscribe. And why not rate us and give us a review to help spread the word? Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support and the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this show out to you. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy Nam, and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. And of course, you can always find us on your socials. And that's all for today, but don't forget to tune in next week for more environmental and social justice stories. Thank you.